And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome back, everybody. It is a uh, mid-June installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports, Mike Morgan of ESPN, SEC Network. Glad to be back after... uh, guess our longest respite in quite some time over a couple of weeks had a chance to do some traveling and enjoy the uh summer a little bit early for me jc this is this is right around the time i start doing that um because my last week of college baseball is super regionals so mm-hmm. uh, for example a year ago uh, almost to the day uh i was in chapel hill calling Auburn's uh, clinching victory in game three of a best of three super against the Tar Heels, uh, earning their first trip to Omaha since 1997. And uh, uh, right now, the way the calendar worked out this year, everything was a little bit earlier. We would have been uh, talking about the College World Series in earnest. It would have started uh, Saturday. So, And I was reading an article. It was a well-written article uh, the millions of dollars Omaha, the city loses without a World Series. It's just things you don't necessarily think about. The the rippling effects of this pandemic and, and, and not having games and sporting events. That's a town, and if you haven't been, I mean, I'm, I'm, by now you, you know I've, I've been there a few times, and I'm, I don't know if I'm biased or not. I don't know anybody who's been that hasn't enjoyed that event. But it's incredible. And the town just rolls out the red carpet. And, you know, look, a lot of college fans can't afford to go there for 10, 12. If your team wins a national championship, you could be out there for two weeks. Yeah, A lot of people can't afford to do that. So it, a lot of the fans you see in the seats are just locals who just love the event and support it. They pick a team, they root for, what have you. Um, but anyway, uh, needless to say, the restaurants get hurt, the – uh, hotels get hurt. Uh, everything gets hurt. So a lot of money is is lost in that, just as as it's been in, in so many other uh, coffers. So I couldn't help but uh, think about that. Uh, but uh, on a brighter note, <laughs> as Major League Baseball still can't figure out uh, how to get a season going, as the NBA playoffs is on again, off again, in doubt, um, it does appear as we've been talking about for a while, JC that football is on the horizon. It's not going to be simple. It's going to be complicated in a lot of different ways, uh, but it looks like it's going to happen. That's some of the things that we'll get into. Um, To say that a lot has happened since we've been gone would be the understatement of the century. No doubt. You know, it was hard enough just trying to grapple with the pandemic. Uh, Needless to say, a lot has happened, and uh, it has intersected with sports. Uh, and, and, and if you've listened to this podcast over the years, you know, a couple things, I mean, we're not here to change anybody's opinion on anything. So uh, this is not, if you're looking for a commentary, if you're looking for a, uh, hashtag type of, uh, movement here on the podcast, not happening. Uh, I'm not going to shout down anybody's opinion. I'm not going to uh, tell anybody that they're wrong for having a particular affiliation with a movement, a political party, a thought process, or anything. I'm a First Amendment guy, uh, and I will always be a First Amendment guy. 
And I'll also be a guy who's somewhat apolitical and certainly don't feel like uh, my forum on this or anything else is to tell you how to, to think about that. But it's obviously out there. And uh, you're hearing a lot of people view things on different matters. And you're, you're hearing a lot of uh, almost a, hey, you're, gonna, you're not going to be able, we're going to refuse to let you ignore our opinion on this. And uh, this is what's going to happen if you try to ignore it. I mean, there's a lot of that going on. And then there's the same array of writers um, from, from multiple publications. It's kind of funny, JC. Here's what I've noticed. And then I'll, I'll step aside here. Sorry for the preamble. <laughs> uh, the, the writers, their takeaway and everything that they told you about the coronavirus and what should be done and what shouldn't be done and how people should feel about this, that, and the other. They've pretty much taken that same approach to everything else going on. I mean, it's kind of the point where I can just predict the article before it comes out and predict every take on every issue on everything being said. Um, doesn't make it wrong again. And I'm a first amendment go, go with it. But, um, uh, it's just gotten to the point where, okay, I, I know this particular writer from SI is going to say this about this particular issue, and he's going to find a way to inject his overall feelings on the way the world should be into the story. It's, it's almost like we're very often it's like the, the sporting aspect of it. That's just the hook. What I really want to do is tell you how I feel the world should be. Uh, so you see a lot of that, and you know, it rubs people, some people the right way and some people the wrong way. But uh, I do hope, no matter what the issue is, we actually have discussion and dialogue. And dialogue, by definition, is not a one-way street of opinion. It's a two-way street of opinion. And I, I hope that if nothing else good comes out of all this, that we will have more dialogue. And I've noticed the same thing. I mean, and I think that, you know, in terms of that, you know, people can write what they want. Um, I am definitely not a stick to sports guy. I tell people I'm way too smart for that. And I have my opinions on things, including, you know, politics, entertainment, movies, all that. But, um, you know, I think this is one time I'm going to stick to sports. I, you know, like, like people want me to, cause I, I just think that it's, it's a no win situation because no matter what you say, the least little thing, even if you're agreeing with the mob, <laughs> uh, and uh, I say the mob, and let me let me you know clarify that the Twitter mob on both sides of the aisle on all kinds of you know that people on the right and on the left both go after people. I mean, but the Twitter mob, um, if you say one thing, you know, wrong that they don't necessarily agree with, or that they can interpret as not lining up exactly with their worldview. You know, you can you can suffer some serious consequences, and so I'm, you know, I, I agree. I, I don't think those guys that are writing all that stuff are going to change the world in either direction. Uh, I think people read their columns and have for years because, you know, they've had good takes on sports, college football, uh, over the years, and uh, I think that you know, keep writing. Maybe you will change the world. Maybe you won't. But as far as J.C. Sherbert goes, I'd. I'm going to, I'm going to steer clear of all this. And, um, 
people that know me know my personal opinions on all this stuff. Uh, and believe me, they're, they're not really extreme one way or the other. They're sort of right down the middle on things. And yeah, I believe in compromise in America. And uh, I think America works best when we do compromise. So, you know, that's all I'll say about that. I, I will say this, that, that I do think that, you know, for, for, for some of the folks that have been the victims uh, uh, of, you know, the, 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 the George Floyd situation, um, some of the people that got killed during the riots or seriously injured during the riots, um, people that have died of coronavirus or had serious health issues because of it, um, just as a human being, my heart goes out to every single one of them. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I do have sympathy and care and concern about what's going on as a human. As far as my professional platform here goes, you know, I, I, right down the middle, you know, people can write what they want, you know, that's, that's their business. And if, uh, if they want to, you know, use their platform to do whatever they want to write about, uh, tomato pie, I don't care. You know, it's, it's a free country, uh, and all that I do, you know, and I'll, I, I will explain at some point whether I think that's good for the sport or not. Um, cause that's a different matter, but at this time I'm going to hold my tongue. I will say this about Omaha, getting back to that, you know, Mike, they not only lost the college world series, they were set to host first and second round or second that's and third right. rounds, what they call that of the NCAA tournament this year, men's basketball tournament. Oh yeah. That's so right. Yeah. They got a double whammy with the, with the big dance getting canceled and then no college world series. So they, yeah, they also had the major league draft set to go there. Oh man, that's right. Yeah. So this was yeah, the, this was the first year uh, that they were going to do the draft there. I'm gonna I'm oh, gonna order some triple Omaha. whammy. I'm gonna order some <laughs> Omaha steaks just to contribute yeah. to the economy for the good. Well, all you Husker fans out there that listen to our uh, podcast out in Omaha, you know I'm I'm with you. So. Yeah, let's 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 go to uh, uh, the Drovers. The, well, yeah, the Drover is the one that gets all the attention, and I, and I enjoyed the Drover. I think I went there every year. The other one I went to is Casio's. I don't hear people talk as much about Casio's. Casio's, mm. Casio's was primo. I mean, uh, <laughs> not trying to tell people where to get their uh, prime steak, but Cassio's was pretty darn good there a- a- as well. Uh, yeah, so the, um, we're we're not a college baseball podcast, but I can tell you that the what's going on in Major League Baseball is going to have a ripple effect on college baseball. That's actually one of the few things that could have a positive impact because the draft is going to be scaled back not just this year, but in the future. You're going to have more quality baseball players that – turn down the option of going straight pro and if you noticed the trend is if you want to be a first round draft pick if you are a super super toolsy elite can't miss high school kid you might go in the first round but the overwhelming amount of players that went early in the draft this year and I think this is a trend this is not an aberration are guys that played three years in college uh the the track record has become those are the kids that that get called up the quickest or more ready the quickest that know the importance of winning the quickest because minor league baseball, with all due respect, it's not about who wins or loses. Um, it's, <laughs> it's like, it's like watching a G league basketball game. Uh, it, it's if we ever have minor league football again, it's going to be the same. Like people just don't care. So if the, if the fans don't really care who wins, why are the players going to care who wins? Well, when you get to the pros, trust me, everybody cares. And that big salary you make is going to be based on if you help the team win. So all that is uh, relevant as well. Uh, It's so hard to know where the jumping off point is 
on all of this. When we last were on, we had Chris Doring of the SEC Network on, great guest, and we had Tim Brando on weeks before that, and and almost ex- obviously we got into some football on the field. You know, who are the teams to beat? Who are the surprise teams? And we're I, I we are going to get there, um, but we have we still have so much time to get there mm-hmm. that it's it's hard not to to talk about the logistics of actually having a season, which are still not set in stone. Uh, but we. You've been listening to this podcast. I mean, months ago we were talking about this, and again, the people that I talked to uh, thought there would be six weeks of practice of uh, activities leading up to uh, no six weeks of practice. I should say, mm-hmm. first you get on, you you work out, you do this, you do that, and the other. Again, you got six weeks of practice, and then you're ready to go. Co- some coaches would s- insist on eight weeks. You don't need eight. Uh, again, eight is ideal. Nothing is ideal about 2020. Uh, so six weeks. You talked about how many Division One programs uh, would not suit up. I haven't heard of any FBS that, that have canceled the season yet. Not, not even like not even like Michigan with all the rhetoric coming out from their president. Right, right. Calif- the California schools have not. I mean, their Pac-12 fell in line. The California fell in line. Yeah, I mean everybody, and it's not even just Power Five. I mean the MAC, the Sun Belt. The Conference USA, and again, these are programs that literally the plug could be pulled if you don't have a football season. So you could almost make the argument they need it more than the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten. But, you know, we're at, we got 130 FBS programs, and even the most optimistic of people thought, well, it's probably going to have to be a few that uh, punt on 2020. And maybe there's a, a school that has a flurry of COVID-19 positive tests, but right now we're not there. And, uh, you know, one of the articles that I thought was really well done in a, in a day and age where, again, uh, for some people, this is an opportunity to, to write about everything but the sport that they cover, the, the article from Mark Schleybaugh about the finances. Uh, basically, a college football season is worth $4 billion dollars that's going to be dispersed to the schools, the coaches, the employees. It's not just uh, the, the name, you know, the, the millionaire coaches you hear about it's staff. I mean, it's people that their mortgage payment relies on there being a season because they may or may not have their jobs if a football season was canceled. And of course those scholarships, when, when they're doled out to the, the players, to pay for room and board, to pay for meals, to pay for clothes. This stuff comes at a cost. So uh, if it was possible to get done, it was going to get done. That's what I kept hearing from the start. And we're there. And now even what has become even more optimistic is at first it was no fans. Then it was 20%. Then you've got schools like the state of Texas saying 50%. I mean, there is no cap per se. I think everybody is going in this and someone has to do it unilaterally. You can't lean on some uh, rule book to know how, how to do this. Each particular school, I don't even think it's going to be a conference-wide rule. You take a conference like the SEC, for example, that's 11 different states that the 14 schools in the SEC span. 
So what's going on in Mississippi might be dramatically different from what's going on in Florida, might be dramatically different from what's going on in South Carolina and so on and so forth. So you have no uniformity in what the crowds are going to look like, but everything else, it seems like we do have some uniformity. Now, as I told you, there are some people that insist on trying to make this a binary issue. Okay. These are not a lot of people that you read on Twitter or whoever else. These are not problem solvers, nor do they want to solve a problem. They want you to believe that it's a binary decision that you're either in favor of safety and the health uh, of the American people, or you just want a college football season. So a bunch of money can be dispersed Uh, as usual. It's not a binary decision. Okay. You don't have to, there's a middle ground, as I said last time, larger size on the Grand Canyon that needs to be recognized. And that's where we are. We've already had some schools, not surprisingly, where this, when the students got back, there were some positive tests. Did anybody think there weren't going to be some positive tests? Of course there were going to be some positive tests. Doesn't mean you're going to shut down college football. Some people already had that column written. Ah, Houston had six positive tests. See, I told you this is completely irresponsible. We shouldn't have football, blah, 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 blah. It's so predictable. Um, But what happens? (laughs) You address it. You go ahead and those players are quarantined. And after 14, 15 days, if they test negative, which they likely will, particularly their age group, that's what the science has told us. Then they get back on the team and back in the workouts and eventually back on the practice field, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Those are some of the things that it's kind of been lost in the shuffle. And for a a lot of people was like, what pandemic over the last couple of weeks, pandemic kind of took a, a back seat in terms of coverage, but obviously it is a major issue still. It has to be dealt with. And I think the people that are about, solving problems and and making things happen are doing the very best that they can. And as we sit here in mid-June, I'm still convinced, barring some cataclysmic uh, spike in numbers, that we are going to have not only a season, but a full season. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's it's looking more and more likely. I, I will say this. I, I also, some people – Look, if you're required to wear a mask to go to a college football game this year, don't politicize it. I don't think wearing a – I mean, it's like everything has been co-opted. You're either pro-mask or anti-mask. I mean, you know, I I think if masks can protect, you know, the most vulnerable people who do go to college football games, older people do. People with underlying conditions do go sit in the stands. Um, and you can protect your fellow man. I don't think there's anything wrong with that especially at a place where I think, Mike, I think we're going to have much larger crowds than people think. I mean, and I've not been optimistic about that until recently. Um, I, I, you know, maybe there's some limited capacity, but, but I, you know, I, I think we're chugging toward regular season starts as, you know, everything kind of starts as is and they go from there uh, with precautions like mask and temperature checks and stuff like that. So, um, you know, if you got to wear a mask, uh, uh, wear a mask, you know, don't, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not browbeating anybody about this. Uh, you know, I, 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 there was a column on 24 seven sports from Brandon Marcello that, that said, Hey, wear a mask if you want college football. And, and look, I agree with his general point. I'm not going to write a column about it. I'm just saying that, you know, if, if we have to wear masks to have college football, you know, I'm sure many of you out there would rather, sit around with your friends 
wearing a mask at a game than, than not be able to go, you know, no, and, no and question. Think, you know, and I think that that's it, but yeah, that's it's, a great it's, point. it's not a, yeah. I mean, it, that, that's an easy thing to put on the mask and, you know, it, it's not comfortable. I agree. I mean, I'm not a fan of wearing them. Um, you know, just to, if there was no pandemic, but there's a pandemic and maybe this year we have to wear masks and, yeah, then maybe next year we don't. So it, <laughs> the point is, you're getting to watch. You're getting to watch the team. And the temperature the- check thing. I, I mean, I've already, JC. I don't know how it is in Chicago. I could tell you in Atlanta, um, and I was in uh, Kentucky for an extended amount of time. It, it, I've already been to multiple restaurants where they check your temperature. Uh, I know people who have gone to uh, to workout classes, things of that nature. First thing they do, check your temperature. Uh, it's mm-hmm. such an easy process. You don't have to put a thermometer in your mouth anymore. I just put a thing up to your forehead. It takes yeah. two seconds. Uh, that to me is a no-brainer. That, that's an absolute no-brainer. I'm glad the process isn't anything like it was when I was a kid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be that'd be difficult to pull yeah. off at a restaurant. What are you like? Oh man! All right, bed right. number go. Oh, you're good. Jeez. Yeah. Anyway. I'm, well, that's a joke. That's a joke. So. No, 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 but your your point is a good one. Um, measures are going to be taken, and I mean, if you got a problem with those measures, then you ought to just sit it out. Yeah. <laughs> just stay home and watch it on watch it, it on TV. If man. that's a political issue, then my goodness, yeah. uh, we we have found a way to politicize everything uh, these moments. But uh, to me, that's a uh, that's an absolute no brainer. And and look, some people are are going to just play it safe anyway, and they're going to stay home and watch it on TV. And that's okay too. Uh, You know, this is, this does not have to be a, like I said, it it just drives me crazy when people want to make you choose a or B and pretend as if there's no middle ground. (laughs) There's a ton of middle, always a middle ground. And most of us live in the middle ground. Mm -hmm. Most of us live in the middle ground. Um, sometimes the most sensical area is the middle ground uh, as much as in spite of the fact that people want to pull you to one extreme or the other. Um, So that, that continues to be a, you know, again, how they do it logistically at this point, I'm less concerned about that. I mean, I I can even tell you on the broadcasting side, there, there are still so many questions Uh, no matter what TV network is broadcasting it. uh, You know, for example, when I broadcast a game, not only do we have myself and an analyst in the booth, there's what they call a, a stage manager, that, that term's been changed somewhat, a booth coordinator, what have you, that, that is there uh, with responsibilities. Uh, usually if I'm calling a football game, I have a spotter to help uh, identify players on every play, a stat person to help come up with key data that, that helps the consumer get more of the information they want when they're watching a game on television. So right there, I mean, you've got a, you've got a handful of people. Um, I know this talking to people in my profession, uh, most people would be more than okay with that. You understand that uh, there's, there's somewhat of a risk on anything. I mean, I've been eating at restaurants for a while. I've, I've gone to the dentist. I've gotten a haircut. Everything we do right now, there is some risk in it. Um, so it's hard to social distance every aspect of a football broadcast or going to a football game. I mean, even if you sit six feet away from everybody else, when you're in line, I, I know like for a restaurant, you can do that where like you put the little feet on the ground 
and then you put the six feet behind that, you put more feet. And then six, but when you're dealing with thousands of people, that's a little bit more difficult to do. Uh, so all this is going to go into the equation. But yeah, bottom, yeah. bottom line is we're, we're going to have a season. Yeah. And, and I mean, they may have to stage intro. I mean, you may have to go in the stadium earlier than you normally do mm-hmm. uh, or wait until after, you know, like in other words, if you miss your window to get in, like section three Oh, whatever, you know, all right, you guys got to come in at uh, 30 minutes before kickoff. Okay. All right. So all right, we're all there for that section. You get in. And then if you don't come, if you want to have that extra beer at the tailgate or whatever, which has happened to many of us before, uh, <laughs> during our tailgating days, um, you know, maybe you have to wait till after kickoff and get back in line with everybody else and, and all that. And that way you don't have like a massive line with people standing six feet apart, wrapped around the stadium, you know, more gates, quicker. I mean, you know, there, there's, there, it's going to be a lot like sort of the lines were after 9-11 when we started having extra security and bag check and all that good stuff at events. Um but people will adjust. I mean, that, that, that happens. I mean, people will adjust. The point is, like you said, we're going to have a season. And that's, uh, that's great with me because that's, um, that's something that's needed. And, and, you know, the pro leagues are coming back, all except Major League Baseball, which is iffy. But uh, mm-hmm. it looks like the NBA is going to have a really good solution for the completion of their season, NHL as well. Uh, and then we'll get into football, NFL and college. And um, I think the country needs that right now, football – uh, I will say this is something that brings us all together. Uh, big people, little people, uh, short people, tall people all can play. There's something for people that can kick <laughs> uh, and people of all races, ethnicities and backgrounds uh, that play that great game are kind of all bound together uh, in that football is a very uniting thing uh, in our country. So I, I feel good about it coming back. No question. Um, I mentioned the, the University of Houston story, six players testing positive uh, last week. They suspended their workouts. Uh, again, this is not reason for a panic button. Uh, you, you, I don't think you have to shut everything down every time there's positive tests. Uh, health first, but you, you do it sensibly. You quarantine those players and then you move on. There's been a couple of players at Alabama. There, I mean, I think Florida was the one school that basically said they had zero uh, on the entire roster and on the entire staff. I don't know if that's going to be the exception of the rule, what have you, but you're going to have other positive tests. Um, I, I, there was an article written again by a particular writer from Sports Illustrated who uh, uh, it's pretty obvious, you know, he believes the whole thing is, is a bad idea. And when it was talking about how some schools are going to get rid of their fall break and basically uh, have a situation where the, the semester ends earlier. So you, for the, for the t- players that are on campus, they'll be on campus when the students leave. And he, he made it sound as if this was this, terrible injustice and i i just i couldn't help myself but just ask him you do realize this this has been going on for decades like <laughs> football players are always on campus thanksgiving week because there's games uh not to mention they're in a safer environment have access to better medical care have access to more testing uh, basically all the things that the common 
population wishes they had access to. But like I said before, for some, the article is already written. So if a school has a flurry of positive tests, they're ready to hit the send button. If a team loses a game because their starting quarterback is quarantining after a positive test, they're already got the send button ready to go. Uh, if there are travel issues, index finger, firmly ready to hit the send button. If a player uh, protests playing under unsafe conditions, send button. If this doesn't go as smooth as silk, they've got the column ready to go to tell you that this was a mistake, that it never should have been played, that it's putting the uh, safety of the student athletes behind the safety of the regular population. They never seem to mention that the coaches are every bit as vulnerable in that situation as well. This just in, they all travel together. They all practice together. They're all on the same sideline. Um, so just be ready for that. Expect that. Yep. Uh, but it shouldn't in a, in a day and age where uh, I guess a lot of people think they speak for everybody. You shouldn't assume that that means this whole thing was a bust because there are some bumps in the road. There are going to be bumps in the road. I don't think anybody denies that. No, and, and yeah, I remember though because it was Notre Dame and South Carolina that announced that. And, and you know, listen, every other year during fall break or Thanksgiving break, okay, because that that we weren't talking about fall. Fall breaks usually in October. No, no football players are going home during fall break unless they have a bye week that week. Okay, so that's a learn your your academic calendar. Here. <laughs> um, number two. All right, so at Notre Dame that weekend, they're usually either, A, flying to Los Angeles and playing the Southern California Trojans, or, B, flying to Palo Alto to play Stanford. So they're usually going to California that weekend. So they're not home for Thanksgiving. Uh, And at South Carolina, they're preparing for Clemson. Um, And they're not going home for Thanksgiving. I mean, none of these schools, that's a rivalry weekend. Um, None of these players under very normal circumstances uh, end up going home. Number two, I think it's completely asinine to believe that hundreds of football players with varied living conditions that come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, live in different environments, urban, suburban, rural, um, are going to all be universally better protected from a virus than they all will be uh, kind of at a school with no students. I mean, you're making the argument that, oh, they don't get to go home to safety with no students. No, it's going to be safer once all the germ-infested students leave. (laughs) And I've said this from the start. You know, I don't don't really worry about college football programs and college basketball programs and athletics programs managing this with their players and their student-athletes. The general population of a college, though, to me, that would scare the crap out of me, and it seems like – you know, all because because we attach ourselves to to falsehoods and, and and beliefs like, well, it's you know, like I've said before, it's it's like, oh Johnny, let's go down to the quad and play for Old State U. You know, here hold my letter jacket, babe. You know, it's not like that. You know, when we hold on to these things where it's oh, it's it's about it's just about being a student. You know, stu- you know, so so, so it, it creates this ridiculous logic that. Well, you know, without students, you know, and, and then you end up getting opinions like, well, if the students get to go home and they're for their safety. Then what about the players? Well, the players, I guarantee you, man, 
I guarantee if you ask Dr. Fauci, since everybody likes to ask Dr. Fauci, you know, everybody talks Dr. Fauci. You want to ask Dr. Fauci, would, would, would you rather have a group of guys, players and coaches, 120 of them or so, um, in one area with consistent testing, a quarantine, um, you know, a, a quarantine protocol, a treatment protocol, the best medical care you can get, or, or you want to send those 120 people out to 120 different living situations in 120 different parts or areas, uh, in some some cases, you know, dozens of different parts of the country, um, which w- in which scenario do you think the 120 people will be better protected? I guarantee he's going to say, oh, all right there, where you can get this, this, and this, because that in and, in and of itself is a quarantine. So uh, I, I thought, yeah, I thought the whole – Thanksgiving outbreak outrage was sort of asinine and then hopefully the writer understands that. I mean, let's, let's, um, you know, let's just face facts here. I think, but I think some of the people with these, this situation, you know, sort of their opinions are fact free and it's, it's that lack of seeing the grand Canyon of area of compromise or the fact that it's not black and white that I think causes that. And I think that's, um, that's sad, but Hey, um, uh, like you said, there will be bumps in the road, and I think you know how they deal with them, how, how colleges deal with it. Um, I have faith that they'll deal with it in a positive manner. Yeah, and uh, again, it, it it's more than uh, one writer, but it it it, it comes from in, in many cases. It comes from the every story comes from the thought process of these kids are getting a raw deal playing college football, that these kids are unpaid labor, all the terms you've heard for years and years. And thankfully, I mean, I've never been more excited about NIL, although I still have no idea how they're going to implement it. Um, and I don't think anybody does. The, the state of Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis, just went ahead and signed off on it. I believe Colorado and California are the other two states as of the present. But everyone's going to fall in line on this. Uh, the 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 pressure to stay competitive with the NIL states will be so much that you can't afford not to. Um, but I look forward to that day, even though I, I I hope they find a way to actually, you know, just keep it from r- turning into nothing more than rampant cheating. Um, I, I look forward to the day where some some of the writers that have been writing the same story about college athletics will actually have to think of a new storyline think of a new plot think of a new angle come up with something original other than these guys are getting a raw deal um so nil will will hopefully change a lot of that i also hope that you know you got the zion williamson story coming out and you've got other stories that have been out for years about all this i also hope we just get to a point where all these kids are getting extra money it's all public no need for under the table stuff, no need for shady AAU coaches, no need for uh, shady anything in the recruiting process. It, it, everybody knows what the deal is. Uh, and every, like, you might like it, you might not like it, but it's no longer this dirty secret that everybody really knows it's going on, but we just kind of bury our head in the sand in the NCAA. Uh, they, they, they know what's going on. They pretend it's not going on. Then when they actually catch somebody, they like to play heavy handed. Uh, 
Barney Fife almost, and then they fail to do that because they don't have subpoena power. I mean, the whole thing has just been the checks and balances of this has been somewhat comical for a while. Maybe NIL, not to get off on a complete NIL tangent, but maybe NIL will help solve some of that. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and they've got to figure out how to do it. But, um, and here's the thing when you mentioned what, the, what this overwhelming college football is a raw deal narrative, you know, this is how that just negatively impacts players. Okay. When, when you're talking in terms of that and you're talking in terms of financial value, and I think NIL is going to shine a big old spotlight on this um, because again, you're talking about a very small portion of players that are, that are going to, and everybody's going to find out exactly how much they're worth, you know, and you're going to find out that, you know, yeah, for, for some of these guys that unfortunately maybe get hurt playing college football and, it derails their NFL career, which is just kind of part of the game. Um, or for, for maybe a guy that makes a horrible decision and goes to a school that, you know, can't develop him and runs an offense that's not really fit for him if he's a quarterback or whatever. And, you know, he just made a bad decision and, and he could have already made a lot of money. That's, that's fine. That's probably three or 4% of all the players in college football. What about the overwhelmingly positive benefits to playing college football for the rest of the guys, for the guys that don't go pro. You know, nobody ever talks about that. And that's like 97% of the guys that play, okay? You know, 97% of these guys aren't going to the NFL. And they have a lot of benefits that maybe even normal students don't. You know, in terms of these days, college football programs are full service. The, the, the big ones are. You know, in terms of you mentioned meals and and and, and health care and and you know I guess the uh, you know the living situation and and the, and the extra money stipends that they get for spending money and all this other stuff. You know the whole thing about they can't afford a pizza or a date. Eh, that's not true. Not anymore. We got the cost of living thing, and you know that's a lot of money for a semester of college. And most of these guys get grants and stuff, and you know. They're not making a hundred thousand a year, but they're they're walking around with cash in their pocket. Okay, so that's that's that. All right, and, but, but nobody talks about the rest of the guys that don't go pro. And to me, to me, that's wrong because for those guys, college football is overwhelmingly beneficial in terms of their life. Yeah, you know, you, you, you know, everybody, you know, kind of the same people that talk about, you know, college football being this, that, and the other are the same people that, you know, usually want everybody to, you know, forgive student loans. Cause you know, everybody's drowning in student loan debt, you know? And, uh, you know, these guys don't have to take out student loans. <laughs> yeah. They get to play a sport, you know, they can, they can just roll and then play ball. And, you know, I would hope that once we get this NIL thing, and people can go get their fair share and their fair market value, which I believe in. This is America, okay? And it doesn't provide a competitive advantage or anything like that. They can kind of balance it to, to keep things fair. I hope that the focus then becomes on, you know, instead of talking about how this is some sort of raw deal for players, um, they, they kind of start to focus on the, 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 the fact that the majority of college football players it's an overwhelmingly positive experience and, you know, and they're not going to go pro, but it helps them in life. It helps them get jobs. You know, a kid at South Carolina that played for Steve Spurrier was not ever going to be a pro receiver. 
he just won the Democratic primary in the state of South Carolina in the Rock Hill area. That Mo Brown? Gonna, Mo Brown, you know. I mean, think about how much college football helped him, you know. Um, he's a kid from Westside High School, always a good kid, a go-getter, and, you know, wasn't ever going to go pro, obviously. Um, you know, nothing against Mo as a player, but he, he wasn't – he was not an NFL guy. But, hey, you know, look at what he did. Look at the, the – now, 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 Mike, we, we've got lo- loads, loads of former players that, that we remember playing that are now assistant coaches and head coaches around the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are, you know, in, in major college football, those are three to $400,000 a year jobs. You know, these guys, most of them didn't, a lot of them didn't go pro. They got into coaching and it opened doors. And, and nobody ever talks about that positiveness. Uh, and, and the positiveness that affects the va- the vast majority of players. And sure, they're great players that hey, he could have just gone straight to the NFL and done better and gone and gotten paid and all this stuff. God forbid something happens to Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields this year, like a bad injury. Uh, they're they're going to be out in arms. And I hope that I hope to God for their sake and everybody's sake it doesn't happen. But, but, but you're not wh- – why are you crafting a narrative – that really is only applicable to the elite of the elite. If you're all for this, you know, fairness and stuff, then why is your narrative only sticking to the best players? Yeah. Because the rest of them, it's an overwhelmingly positive experience that helps people's lives. Uh, in some cases, dramatically helps people's lives. <laughs> yeah. Dramatically. Uh, so in some, it helps young men, um, and women, but if we're sticking to the, um, yeah, not just revenue football, sports. Yeah, every yeah. sport, yeah. It, 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 but it, you know, if we will, if you want to just keep it to revenue sports, uh, it, it helps a lot of young men who were not otherwise going to go to college, who were not otherwise going to have that opportunity. Um, there, uh, there, that I mean, you mentioned a couple. I could, I could name a hundred. <laughs> I've been around so many uh, at so many different schools, at so many different conferences. The list is. Uh, beyond long too long to even get into but you're right that that never those stories seem so limited uh i guess if you want to move to the the top of the college football writer food chain for some publications it is the more cynical and the more you present the system as being rigged then that comes through as a more enlightened uh writer or commentator that just seems to be the way they look at it. Uh, and, and so, I, I mean, I just, that that's fine. But uh, like you, I, I hate that more people don't know the other side to it. And I, and I, sometimes I just assume they do because I see it, you see it firsthand, Yeah. but maybe book. that, maybe that's wrong to assume because a lot of people don't have access that we do. And all they do is get hit over the head with how bad a deal playing college football, college basketball actually is. Yeah. And, you know, coaches' salaries have a little bit to do with that. And I'll, I'll admit that, you know, I used to be a little more pro coach than I once was. I mean, as far as, you know, going, ah, what's bad? And, and it's still bad for some of the assistants. I mean, you know, I said that. Yeah, you know, some most of them make three or four hundred grand a year, which is a good bit of money. But most of those guys too are on one-year contracts and have to move their family six or seven different times and all this stuff. I, I've gotten a lot less sympathetic for head coaches as far as oh, that was tough that you lost your job, like Chad Morris. Now, in a different life, I may have said, 
that's not fair to Chad Morris because he took over a grounded pound team trying to run spread in the toughest division in college football, and he needed more time um, in a different life. Now I'm like, <laughs> look at the money he got. And then he's going to go make a million plus at Auburn. Who cares? He lost to Western Kentucky at home, and you can't do that. Yeah. And yeah. San Jose State. Western Kentucky's pulled an upset or two in their time. San Jose State is not only a Mountain West team. They are a bad Mountain West team. Like, they belong – if there was still a whack, they belong in the whack. I hope they are def- – I hope they are in the Mountain West. I didn't get that wrong. We have a couple of UNLV fans that listen to our yeah, podcast. Yeah, they're in the Mountain West. Okay, what San Jose State's in the Mountain West. Okay, good. Yeah. They're yeah, probably – yeah, they're terrible. We don't have a whack anymore in uh, football. I know. Right? I know. There's no whack in football. We've been de-whacked. The whack got whacked, <laughs> to whack use a uh, Sopranos term. But, you know, I mean, so so, so that's that's the thing. I mean, so, so I, I will admit that, you know, it's just my personal worldview. I I don't really feel sorry for guys getting $20 million payouts to, to not coach. I mean, and I do think – the market has demanded that some of these salaries get high. And am I going to say they're ridiculous? No, but I, I, I do. They, they are big numbers. And, well, um, you know, so, so, and I think that to, to whom much is given much is expected. So if you're going to make that much money and you're going to get your money for being mediocre at your job anyway, then I'm not going to really feel sorry for you, you know, considering, you know, that if I were bad at what I did, you know, there, there would be no, it would be going. I would. I would have to go do something else, and it would be. It would get ugly, you know. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's the one area I may have gone more toward. Uh, you know, the money's kind of getting out of hand, but it's you know, it's just more of a thing where I, I don't have as much sympathy for for coaches getting fired anymore, just because it's it's kind of a great deal. You get, uh, you know, eight figures to go sit on the beach, and most of them do because they do have beach houses. Uh, we should all be so fortunate to have one of those. Um, all right. So w- with all that being said, you've got three stories that have been swirling around. Uh, the most recent one, uh, an interesting 24 hours for Mike Gundy uh, and uh, involving his star running back. Uh, I know still with your ties to the state of South Carolina, I'm sure you've had a close eye on the Dabo Sweeney. Uh, story which has been on the news you know people like Paul Feinbaum who's uh, certainly been critical of of Dabo and the way he's handled certain things and then you've got what's going on in in Austin where basically the University of Texas athletes said last week they won't help the school recruit future athletes they won't participate in alumni events as they typically do Uh, they they're saying they're going to continue with team activities leading up to the fall semester but didn't say what they'll do once the school starts. I mean, you look at their uh, list of demands. Uh, it is it is a uh, interesting list list to say the least. Uh, so you've got all those things going down. Of of those stories, uh, which which one you want to get to first? I'll start with Mike Gundy. He he. It, it, you know, look. We all have to be have some self awareness, and I, and I think a lot of this the, the protest and some stuff, stuff like that comes down to one thing. Um, and I'm not I'm not talking about the extremes on either side. I'm talking about like the, your average person, you know, that's out there protesting, that's kind of looking at the world, wants people to listen and understand. And I think if we take a lesson from all this, it's that we need to do more listening and understanding. And I know I have in my life. 
since this has happened. Um, you know, I'm not sitting here ignoring it. You know, I'm not going to give you like my nitty gritty political woke or unwoke take on anything. But I, I do think that if there's one lesson to be learned, so we need to listen and understand better. Um, and I think the word tone deaf kind of comes into play. Now, he just put a T-shirt on, man. <laughs> I mean, should he have had it on? Probably not. You have to be careful. Um, with, 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 you have to really think about what your symbols now say, uh, I think, especially when you're in the public public eye, and especially when, you know, you, you have uh, done some things or said some things before that are a little controversial, and, you know, the, 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 you have social media now, and chances are if something starts floating around, you're, you're going to get caught on it. I, I think that, you know, if I were him, I'd be taking less pictures when I'm fishing uh, and I think that's unfortunate that somebody can't just do that and wear a shirt and it not be a big controversy. Now, do, do I think that his players had a right to kind of question that? And yeah. I mean, I think, I think that, you know, most recruits in recruiting Mike make decisions based on comfort level, which are facilitated by relationships. Um, comfort level encompasses a lot of things. Like and people are like, well, well, then if it's about comfort level, why is this kid going to this school? Because he's more, you know, when school A wins more than school B, I was like, because he's more comfortable winning. <laughs> I mean, that's, and people have to make decisions for themselves as far as like, you know, how comfortable they are going to be. Um, and, you know, and, and so do I blame the players? No, I mean, players have a right to speak out and talk and, and do whatever. Do I think it's unfortunate in some ways that you, you can't put on a t-shirt of, of something and, you know, I mean, and then somebody somewhere takes a screenshot and tweets it and, you know, I should probably it, say with the t-shirt, it, cause I yeah, honestly, I didn't even know what this was. Yeah. So it was one, one American news is what it was. And then I've, so it's O O A O A N. Okay. So this is, and this I have a, 250 channels. God knows I pay enough on my cable bill every month. I honestly had never heard of this. I I, I, I flipped it over one day because I watch all news before people mm-hmm. get after me. I watch MSNBC, CNN, uh, Fox News. I watch the opinion shows I don't agree with, the opinion shows I do agree with, because I like to be intelligent and listen and to everybody and then make my own decision. Right. Um, so I flipped it over to One America one day. I couldn't watch it. It, it. It's just bad. It's like it's like I don't know, man. It's 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 just I'm not a big. I, I just didn't like it. I just thought it was kind of crappy, crappy news. And there were some far out conspiracy theories on there. And if, if I want to watch conspiracy theories, I'll turn it to Russia Today or Sputnik. You know, because that's that's sort of the home of the good conspiracy theories. And the Russians do a better job of production. This was bad production. This is just not for me. I'm not. I'm not going to criticize anybody else for reading it or watching it. Now, you know, I, I and, and so that's what he had on, and he was fishing with his with his buddies, and you know, he had it on. And I think that you know, when you look at kind of some things he said, um, you know, publicly in the past couple of months, I think you can kind of get a good guess as to what side of the aisle Mike Gundy's on. But but that's Mike Gundy's personal choice and you know it's also his players personal choice they 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 made the decision to go to Oklahoma State you know most of Oklahoma State's recruits did have other offers you know 
They did find Chubba Hubbard up in Canada. It was a great job in recruiting. But, um, you know, so do, but do I think they have a right to play. Yeah, I mean, you got a transfer portal now. You can go play. If you're uncomfortable, you can go do whatever. Um, I, I thought that the, the rushed video was a little rushed, I guess, with both of them. It was a little uncomfortable. And, you know, then people get called out for both sides because I think some people were honestly hoping to God that Mike Gundy would get fired. I think that's what there, a lot of people were, were hoping. Well, there were national writers calling for it. Yeah, hoping he gets They were fired. all but saying, you know, uh, this is going to do him in. Or that Chuba Hubbard would transfer. Or that Chuba would, would, Chuba. would leave. I'm and, sorry. Did I call him Chuba? I'm sorry for mispronouncing this That's name. okay. It's, it's, uh, I, I played with a basketball player in high school named Shuba, so that's how Chuba. it's easy for me to remember. Chuba he had, Hubbard. He had SH instead of CH, but yeah. uh, Chuba, Shuba. Uh, it's all good. Okay, anyway, none of that happened is what I'm saying. And so I think people, yeah. people got attached to outcomes on that. And then they got mad about the, you know, the, the video they put out, you know, instead of kind of seeing it for what it is, which was, Hey, we, we kind of, kind of want to just move on. What were they met? And I, I'm trying to understand, uh, all of this. First of all, it, has Chuba Hubbard ever watched OAN? Or, I don't I mean, know. No idea. Did he like I, how many college? I mean, when I was in college, I guess cable news, it was there, but it wasn't exactly uh, huge. Uh, and certainly it wasn't like it is now where it seems like every cable news network feels the need to take a side on the aisle, one or the other. But I, I mean, I don't know many kids in college that spent a whole lot of time watching cable news. <laughs> no, the, the, the thing with OAN is that they've they're on the, the they the, the the Black Lives Matter movement. They've said it's a hoax or it's not. You know, they, they said it's it's just not. It, it shouldn't exist. You know, that they've said some things on their editorial end, and this is from what I've read. I haven't seen right. this. Um, and I'm certainly not endorsing it, but the, that's what the argument was, was that this, you know, they were not respectful toward the movement. Right. And then Gundy has the shirt on when he's fishing and then somebody tweets it and makes a big deal out of it. And, you know, Chuba and, and a lot of the other players kind of started talking. And I think another, another interesting point was he didn't really have like Dabo Swinney when this happened, when that, that kind of went down on Twitter, he had a lot of players come and defend him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gundy really didn't have have that, and, and if I, you know, if I'm him, I'm kind of, I'm probably trying to kind of take a look. I mean, he, he makes a lot of money. He's been there forever. Um, you kind of get in the uh, what's the coach from Varsity Blues? You kind of get in that mode. Bud Kilmer, the Bud Kilmer, the Bud Kilmer had championships. Mike Gundy yeah, doesn't. Yeah, he is one twenty. <laughs> he's I, I did see this. He is one hundred and twenty nine and sixty four at Oklahoma State, which is not easy. No, but, not at uh, all. And I, I've seen people take shots at it. Some people now, you know, it's almost like I'm going to I'm going to tell you because I don't like Mike Gundy because of his political views. I'm going to tell you he's a bad coach. The fact of the matter is, Mike Gundy's actually done a good job there. If you want to hold his record against Oklahoma against him, well, then you can do that with the previous Oklahoma State coaches <laughs> and future Oklahoma State coaches. Because if you haven't noticed, uh, there is a, a little bit of a talent gap there. And if if you're coaching OU. You got some advantages that you don't have at Oklahoma series. State. Bedlam is a lopsided series. He's correct. Two and, two and thirteen against the Sooners, and you know, and they're always good competitive games. They just don't, you know, they, they usually don't go the Cowboys way. But he's had some big wins and all that. If I'm him, what I'm doing, Mike, is I'm saying, 
you know, because there have been some coaches around the country that have that have kind of just dug in with their players. And, you know, Will Muschamp's one of those at South Carolina. I got to give him credit. It's all about the relationship he has with his players. And I, and I think that for some of these guys, these coaches out there, they, they really do a good job of coaching and they win and all that. But you talk to people and they don't have any relationship with their players. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that maybe that's what the good that can come out of it with Mike Gundy is he starts to realize, yeah, I need to have a better relationship with, with my players because that's, that's what's, that's what's right. important here. Well, I need to understand them better. And this goes back to something I said at the very top, and that is dialogue. I, I think sometimes we've lost the definition of dialogue. Dialogue is not a, uh, I feel this way, and therefore you should feel the same way, and I'm offended if you don't feel that way. Dialogue, which hopefully will actually happen. I mean, the video was was obviously kind of damage control. I didn't think there's, I didn't think there's anything wrong with the video. And it seems to me like just falling and I can't stress this enough. Don't try to gauge what's actually going on or how people really feel based on Twitter. I mean, we've, we've said that for years. <laughs> uh, I like Twitter. Uh, obviously, we're in professions that uh, you want to have a Twitter preference, uh, uh, presence. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of good with Twitter. But, it, but by no means is Twitter a true barometer of people's feelings it's like yeah, it's, I, it's a mirror funhouse kind of deal fun it, yeah mirror. well when i hosted a sports talk show and i did i did it for years and and um every now and then after a show people would say boy i guess everybody feels this way and i'd say well based on what well all your callers said that so do you realize less than one percent of the people that listen to my show actually call so you can't judge that's not a true take the temperature of the of the public based on who calls a talk show. Well, the same thing could be said about Twitter. I mean, it, so, but I'm just trying to follow this story. Cause again, I didn't even know what the network was. Uh, then I'm trying to understand why Chuba's offended by a t-shirt. Then I'm trying to understand why people are mad at the video mm-hmm. where the two are kind of like, it's a peace offering. Uh, hey, you're good. I'm good. Uh, Chuba says, look, I probably shouldn't have gone to straight to Twitter over it. And I guess some people are like, man, Chuba, you, you got to stay strong. You got to stay tough. Don't, don't be apologizing. He, he needs said, to apologize. He said he did. And Gundy did not apologize. And I, you know, maybe you throw that in there and say, I'm sorry I've offended somebody, but he's apologized no, so much. That I think more than, but I think more than apologies and videos and everything like the, moments like these are a great opportunity. And, and this is why I think Dabo uh, throughout all the, the, the things that have been, circulating there gets the benefit of the doubt from a lot of his former players. Dabo is so hands-on is such a well, kind of as close as you can be to one of the guys. Uh, even though you got people from all different backgrounds, it, you know, Dabo has championed players like Deshaun Watson, uh, who is African-American and basically called him the Michael Jordan of the draft. You better not pass on him. I mean, he has, he has had crossover appeal. So, okay. If Mike Gundy doesn't have that, why don't you actually have a discussion? Okay, here's how I feel. Here's how I feel about politics. Here's how I feel about this. I mean, if that's going to be the new norm, then then fine. But have a dialogue about it. It's not just in this cancel culture. Well, you yeah. feel this way, so STFU. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and so, I mean. I, I think if, if you're going to draw positives out of something, 
dialogue versus monologue versus just putting your throwing your you know your hashtag brigade on social media. Uh, and this goes for for both sides or the overwhelming Everybody. yeah the overwhelming majority who who don't subject themselves to tribalism and and have feeling like they have to pick a side the overwhelming majority that are somewhere in the middle uh go ahead and discuss these things if if this is going to be is going to change your comfort level about a certain thing um then let's go i mean look we know there are head coaches in college football college basketball pro football pro basketball they're not all of the same political party they're not all of the same belief. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I'd like to think in the 21st century that people can still work together like they do in every other facet of the workforce. I don't know many businesses where everybody is required to think the same way uh, and believe in the same organizations. I'd like to think that there's a little bit of intellectual diversity where people are allowed to have different thoughts on different issues. You know, we had Tim Brando on a few weeks ago and, and I kind of agreed with the way he approaches politics in general. He, he's talked about it's an a la carte thing for me. I, I, I don't go to one side of the aisle and say, okay, I've got to think this way, that way, this, because that's what this party says. You take it on issue by issue. Oh yeah. As everybody should do. Our, our country would be better off if they did that. And, and I, th- I, again, I think that's, that's most people. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't make a habit of having political discussions, but when you do, you get a room full of 10 people together. Good luck trying to get them to agree on everything. And that's OK. <laughs> that's that America. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that is that is what separates uh, America from a lot of other countries where you're all just taught uh, and basically ordered to think and believe a certain way on everything. So. Yeah. Uh, I'll be very curious to see how I hope like everything else going on. I hope there can be some positives that come out of that. And I hope uh, don't listen. I, I just, I fear that some people, the noise overwhelms them and the noise starts to shape how they should feel. Don't let the noise tell you how to feel, uh, you feel how you feel and you can share your feelings with other people. Uh, and, and, and that's, to me, that would that'd be the one thing that would make a positive uh, out of this, but who knows if that's going to happen. I don't know. Um, my guess is you'll see another story like this at some point, right? Uh, whether it's a t-shirt or whether it's um, a, uh, I don't know, a bumper sticker. Who the heck knows? I, I, I don't know. Uh, so that's the, that's Gundy gate. Then we have, uh, we, I guess we've already touched on Dabo. Um, yeah, you know, that turned out pretty well. I mean, he was kind of getting hit up too, and it uh, looks like that they're going to – and like I said, all, all these situations, I just think it's a great opportunity because the one thing I've heard from everybody that has all, a lot of these opinions about what's going on in the country right now is listen. We need people to listen and be aware. I think it's a great time for, like you said, yeah. you, you hit the nail on the head. Sit down, have a discussion be aware, you know, keep it off social media or, or if you're put it on social media, I don't care, but understand social media is not reality and live in reality and, and understand. 
Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that too, because as I said at the top, uh, I've been on the road quite a bit and just uh, getting an early start to the, the, the summer, the downtime. And uh, so this was easy, easy for me to do, I guess, than, than what it ordinarily would be where if you're in the middle of a season and uh, you're always looking for information. And so part of information is uh, social media. It's not all commentary and opinion. A lot of it is uh, interesting facts, interesting stories, people breaking things, um, uh, whether it's a Brett McMurphy in college football or whether it's a, um, you know, one of the great writers that cover uh, college basketball, Adam Schefter, in the NFL, Adam Schefter for the NFL. Uh, I mean, you know, ESPN kind of has a, a plethora now of guys that do a great job of breaking news on pro and college basketball. So yeah. I, I, that's for me during the season, but when the season's over, I typically flush that all out and get the heck away. So I made a pact. I was staying off social media for nearly three weeks. I didn't post anything. I didn't uh, respond to anything. I just, I just got away from it uh, for a while. And so I, I obviously I knew what was going on to some extent. So I listened and to me, you still learn more from listening than you do from talking and screaming and, and uh, typing things vociferously on social media. Uh, so maybe that's another good thing is that maybe, like you said, a lot of people had focused more on uh, listening than speaking. I, I don't feel like I have to have an opinion on everything. I, I think for some people in our business, they believe that they have to have an opinion on every single thing. Otherwise they're not doing their, their job. Uh, again, I'm not even in the talk show business anymore. It's, it's more about uh, the games and, yeah. and presenting storylines and, and everything else. Uh, and actually, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, commentating on what's going on in those four quarters, in those two halves, in those nine innings, and I can't wait till we get back to that. But uh, obviously for right now, it's a whole lot of people uh, with a lot of downtime and a lot of things not distracting them. And so it's been a good time to listen. And these stories, uh, no doubt, will be looked at. Uh, they'll be put under a microscope. And again, some writers will already, they'll take it as their opportunity to uh, start their kind of assault Yes. On anybody that doesn't think the way they do, others will take a look at it and will say, okay, this is interesting. We've got people from different cultures, different backgrounds, and different ideologies trying to all work together for the common goal. Let's see how this works out, and let's document it in a way that's fair to everybody. And that's what sports should all be all about. Bottom line, you're right. Uh, it, it, it usually has been the biggest unifier we have, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, it has been as big a unifier as there is. And again, I don't work for a team anymore, but I have, but I've seen when I have worked for a team, the relationships that are formed by guys that ordinarily would have never crossed paths, never, uh, done things together, hung out together, formulated friendships and through sports they have. And that's a, that's mm -hmm. one of the things we love about it. It is a byproduct of not just who wins, who loses. Uh, it's, you know, it's almost like a, a sociological experiment gone well, gone good, yeah. as opposed to all the negative ones you hear about uh, on seemingly a daily basis. 
Uh, I know we're running short on time. One other thing that, that did come down the pike, SEC Media Days, the last to go virtual. Um, you know, for me, living in Atlanta, somewhat unfortunate because would have loved to have gone to another one right here in the oh, yeah. city. Perfect place for it in the, in the College Football Hall of Fame. Perfect uh, venue and is what we like to call the mecca of college football here in Atlanta. Um, but that being said, now that they're all televised on the SEC network, you can get everything you want in terms of hearing from all the players, hearing from all the coaches. Uh, you can still do that just watching it on TV as opposed to uh, feeling that you have to go there. I realize for my, my friends in sports talk radio, this is a blow because you like going there and setting up your remote uh, table and getting in-person interviews. So that, that a lot of those folks will take a hit. Um, that's a nice thing to, to sell and to uh, kind of break away from the dog days of summer. But all that being said, I'll just be glad that we have media days. I'm not going to complain if they're virtual or not virtual. Just give me some media days, uh, which will be about, what, a month away. Absolutely. And uh, like you said, yeah, and I have noticed that about that particular event, especially the SEC. Um, I know some of the other conferences that they don't get quite the media, Southeastern Conference does. It's it's almost a different kind of deal because I know the ACC – Sometimes you have these gaggles where the guys just kind of sit around at tables and you talk and you go play golf and it's at a country club in Greensboro. Uh, I know that there's one, I think it's the American, I think they have a clam bake or something up in Rhode Island or, I mean, I, you know, I think that's the American. And so for those, I mean, those are kind of fun and I'm sure people uh, are going to miss those events, but for the SEC, there's so much live coverage of it. And so many media members there that it's just – it's nothing you can't accomplish virtually. Um, and, uh, you know, as a as an owner of a website that, that has to staff it, yeah, I'm glad I don't have to pay for my guys to get you know, I, I'm like – Probably it, some stations that think like that too. Because that, that trip to Birmingham is just kind of like – it, it kind of got to be like I, I'd send my guys down for the South Carolina day and that was it. I used to – send folks down for all four days and all that good stuff. So it was um, something else, but gets a know, little pricey. It is. It gets a little pricey. So, um, so anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see it. And, and the SEC did hold out. And I do know that just kind of um, behind the scenes, they did kind of poll, you know, the writers around the league, um, through the various SIDs that ask if they would be comfortable doing an in-person uh, deal. And um, I know just in, in a couple of markets, the I thought it was going to be an in-person deal because I think in a couple of markets they were like, well, here and here, only one person said, I'd still go. I'd be a little uncomfortable, but I'd still go. But I guess in other markets, maybe they said no. Um, or, or maybe they just decided, hey, it's not worth it. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I am looking forward to that. I think it'll be Mike, like, like, like the Last Dance documentary and the draft and and all these things during the the shutdown that that we've kind of seen spike in ratings that normally wouldn't get that much. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I think that people will be that starved to watch it and kind of kind of see. Yeah, and I, you know, I've gotten a little docked out. Um, and I love thirty <laughs> for thirty, and I promote the heck out of it, not because. Uh, any of my affiliations just because I think it's good programming. I, I wish we had more of it, but after watching the, the, the last dance with the bulls, which was outstanding, 
the one about Lance Armstrong, I admit it, I actually got into a cycling documentary, which is obviously bigger than that, but I didn't even think I'd enjoy that. I did. Um, I don't enjoy him, but I enjoyed the documentary. But uh, now, like the Maguire Sosa, I mean, I didn't learn anything. Um, and we, it was like two hours of the race and then uh, yeah. two minutes of steroids. Uh, the Bruce, I was looking forward to the Bruce Lee one because I didn't know much about him, but I knew obviously of him. And a lot of my friends growing up as kids, they were all into the Kung Fu thing. Um, but I, I didn't, that didn't move the needle for me a whole lot. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm just ready for games at this point. Uh, I I'm ready for games in the, uh, in the worst way, by the way, one news note, uh, college football hall of fame nominees. This just coming down a couple hours ago among them, Eric B of Colorado, mm. heck of a player, uh, and those great Colorado teams, Kentucky quarterback, Tim couch. Gosh. I mean, he is still, when you go to Kentucky, he is still legendary as a two-sport stud and had a very good college career, did not pan out in the pros uh, for various reasons, injuries, what have you. But Tim Couch, if you go back and you remember how big a deal he was coming out of high school and then uh, starting at Kentucky, I think, he, I think his first year was with old Bill Curry. And Bill Curry did not start him right away. He did not have used him. They ran the option. Yeah. And uh, he never got off the pace saying, you know. You got, you got this guy who's like a prolific passer. Bill Curry did not last. Tim Couch did and broke all kinds of records. Uh, Jack Del Rio, Ken Dorsey of Miami. A lot of these names you hear and you wonder, how could they not already be in the Hall of Fame? Kevin Falk of LSU. How is he not already in the Hall of Fame? Uh, Josh Heupel. Ray Lewis, Ray Lewis, not on the college football hall of fame. I, I must surprising. be missing the process. Julius Peppers. I mean, these are all like no brainers. Jeez, yeah. Those are some of the names, um, nominees for college football hall of fame. Uh, I think the names I just mentioned, almost all of them are kind of slam dunks on that. And then you saw a list about, uh, potential upsets. We're going to start talking games and schedules here pretty soon. What, uh, what do you make of the list of games that we should be looking at for yep. potential upsets, maybe uh, knock some high, high, highly ranked teams from the top of the throne? Yeah, you know, yeah. Brad Crawford came out with this list today, and uh, it was um, it was interesting. I, I thought one that, that kind of fascinated me was Texas A&M at Alabama. Um, and that comes down to Kellen Mond, right? I mean, you know, Kellen Mond, you know, and, and rem- remember we were talking about him a few summers ago and I said, I thought he had a chance to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. And you said, well, he may not even start. And then, then that, that kid that ended up going to Arkansas and not starting was battling him. And so then all of a sudden he had, he had a pretty good year. And then last year I was disappointed in, in Kellen yeah. Mond a little bit. I know he had good numbers, but big game situations like that Clemson game, he really kind of struggled. So, uh, the LSU game, it was awful. I yeah, mean, that, it, was, that just kind of put it in the tank. So I yeah, think that, that um, Georgia game, he was okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's just a mixed bag. And I, I look at him. I remember I, I called Dak Prescott's first start. It was Cole Kublick and I. And, and, and Dak was still trying to kind of figure things out, but you knew it was in there. I think that's how they look at Kellen Mond. Like they know it's there, 
They know the talent is there. Is this the year he turns it on? If, and, I, and I tweeted this, in fact, uh, this morning. If, if, he, if he plays like an all-SEC caliber quarterback, you combine that with the easier schedule, and all of a sudden A&M's got a chance to have that year that they've been waiting on. Uh, if he doesn't, if he plays just as he did a year ago, then I think A&M kind of stays in the same pecking order, which is behind the usual suspects. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I, I think they are a fascinating football team. And I think that um, it, it, this is the year they've been waiting on, Mike, because last year you kind of looked at that schedule. You got to go to Clemson. You got to go to Georgia. You got to play Alabama at home. Those were the top three teams in the country. Then you add LSU on top of that, which ended up being the top team in the country. Nobody played a tougher schedule, in my opinion, than Texas A&M. Plus, you got a really good Auburn team. Uh, as you normally do in the SEC West. This year, it's not so bad. I think their their big non-conference game is Colorado. They do have to go to Alabama, but from the for the East, I think it's Vandy that they will get instead of Georgia. Um, and then their permanent opponent, South Carolina. Expectations are not super high in Columbia. Um, so the East draw is much better. So I think they have an opportunity for the, the $75 million man to – to make a move. I know that that's what they're thinking out there. Um, but I'll, I'll caution you with this. I, I, I believe they have a chance to do it, but it also reminds me a little bit of some of those Butch Jones teams at Tennessee where you almost feel like, Hmm, this may be a year too soon, even though they do kind of set up nicely on paper. So I, that, that's uh, that's kind of my take on that. What about some of the upsets uh, on that list? Some of the other ones. Well, uh, I thought TCU-Oklahoma was fascinating because, you know, every couple of years TCU does have a deal where they go and beat somebody, um, you know, especially the, uh, you know, the, the Oklahoma uh, in that situation. I, I thought Florida State-Clemson was interesting, and, and Brad pointed this out because, you know, Florida State's schedule isn't all that ridiculous, and, and they have a chance to be undefeated under Mike Norvell you know, going into that game and boy, if they could pull an upset over Clemson and Tallahassee, you know, that would, that would, that would kind of shake things up in that division. And, uh, and I'll say this, I think that they, uh, they have, you know, sort of, um, I, I don't know. They, they have the talent to hang in that game. If you look at Clemson over the years, with the exception of two years ago, when they went down there and just demolished them under Willie Taggart, you know, Tallahassee was a tough spot for the Tigers. Um, they won down there in 2016. They did not win in 2014. They wanted the, the 2018 win is the only win. And I think it's one of two or three wins in Tallahassee all time. So they've struggled down there at times and it was a three point game in 2016, you know, so I, I kind of got my eyes on that. Just how much better, can Mike Norvell get Florida State? I know they're going to be better coached. That's a that's a given, as we've documented. But, um, you know, how much better can they possibly be? Another one on the list is Auburn and Ole Miss. Could you imagine Ooh. if Lane Kiffin could pull that off? Oh, my gosh. Uh, and, and now, I mean, Ole Miss now, they were a national story because of how good they were and because of a couple of outstanding recruiting classes under Hugh Freeze. But Hugh Freeze doesn't have – uh, to use a broadcasting term, the personal cum rating that Lane Kiffin does. I mean, Lane Kiffin is just a natural uh, lightning rod for reaction one way or another. A lot of people want to see him fail. 
Uh, a lot of people are simply intrigued by him, and Ole Miss fans love the hire on, on the whole. So you pull that one off, then all of a sudden <laughs> the, that, that is one heck of a storyline, not just around the SEC, but nationally. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Lane Kiffin, you know, certainly, you know, I, the, and the Baylor, their Baylor game, their opener in Houston got moved to that Sunday of the first week of the season. Um, and so you kind of look at it and, 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 you know, they have a chance to get off to a pretty good start. Uh, I think a lot of people think this may be one of those Auburn years where they're not quite as good. You know, nobody talked about this last year, Mike. Auburn was a pretty daggum good football team. You know, Auburn went down, I think, I think the game was at LSU uh, and lost by three. Uh, that was well, yeah, L- I mean, you could, LSU's closest game, you know? You could argue they had the best defensive line in the country. Yeah. I mean, they beat Alabama last year. It's always a good year when they beat Alabama. They they can't get the – they're struggling – for the last decade, they're struggling with Georgia for some reason because that, that series used to go back and forth. Right now, Georgia's just got their number. But, you know, they had a pretty good year, all things considered, down at Auburn. So, I think the consensus now is, well, they're going to kind of – because they lost all those players on defense, they're going to drop back a little bit and be a be the seven and five, you know, eight and four Auburn team that we that we have every couple of years. I don't know about that. You know, I, I think they're kind of an interesting team as well. Um, and and I, you know, Ole Miss, Missouri, Arkansas, all these teams that have new coaches, I think they're going to be kind of behind the eight ball. So, you know, we'll kind of see uh, see what happens. I'll throw two more in, and then before we sign off, Georgia at Mizzou. He says Georgia's season hinges on what the Bulldogs do against Alabama and Florida, two pre's and top tens, but there's a road trip to Mizzou that comes between showdowns versus Auburn and Florida. And again, Mizzou at times has been a little bit pesky for Georgia. Uh, I, I, this is this just simply comes down to one thing: if you're if you're projected as a possibility, yeah, you could say it's a trap game, but this is the, this is the Eli Drinkwitz. Uh, formula you know he he was very unique and innovative as a play caller at Appalachian State uh, did did a good amount of things in a short amount of time there taking over for another successful coach so this is like the element of surprise you don't know what you're up against with this version of Missouri because based on talent I don't see it I, I mean I <laughs> based on talent I'm not sure what Mizzou has that matches up well with Georgia. I don't think Eli Drinkwitz is some offensive genius. I'll just be honest. I think, you know, his App State teams last year at times struggled. I thought at NC State on a team that had – that was allegedly good on defense, that had all those NFL guys on defense, he did score a lot of points. Um, Ryan Finley was pretty good. Uh, I have a lot of questions, you know, and, and even at that, is he going to be able to get it in? So, I, I would completely disagree with this one. I would think that – you know, yeah, you got some element of surprise, but, you know, Georgia Georgia has so much. I mean, and look, there's going to be some surprises for Georgia, too, with Newman at quarterback. Uh, I just don't see them losing this game. And quite frankly, uh, I think hiring Eli Drinkwitz over guys like Skip Holtz, Blake Anderson, uh, could prove to be a mistake uh, when you're talking about the Missouri athletic director who, you know, I could have made a good, uh, a good case for keeping Barry Odom, uh, but they decided not to do it. So we'll see kind of what happens, but I, uh, I uh, that this is one that I, I'm, I'm skeptical about. Now the one caveat is this, Mike. They have Sean Robinson who was at TCU at quarterback. Now Sean Robinson, uh, who I thought had some great moments while he was with the Horned Frogs, 
if he comes out and lights it up and he's they're, they're going up and down the field, then then I'm completely wrong. Uh, but I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I'm not sure if I see that one either. Uh, this is the one that I think a lot of people are going to join in on. And that's Florida, Tennessee. I'm not even sure how big of an upset this would be if Tennessee wins at home. Uh, it's fairly early in the year. Um, but this is a game. Tennessee has been one of the storylines in the offseason with their recruiting success. We all know how well they ended the season last year. They're going to be a popular pick, I believe, this year. Uh, so that's the last one on the list, uh, at least with any uh, implications in, in the southeastern part of the country. It's sort of big, I think, for um, for the Vols. I mean, this game has gotten to the point they win it. They 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 rarely win it so often that hey, that, that's one that you got to circle. And you know, they got they got Florida, then they got Missouri. And so, so yeah, if they, they they have some big games early too, we're going to learn a lot about them. Because I think Tennessee is going to be really good on defense this year. Uh, I don't know how good their offense is going to be. Um, I, I think Jim Chaney is a good enough play caller to get their points on the board when they need it. But they got to go to Oklahoma in week two. They go out there and slow those guys down and play them tough and maybe even pull the upset. Look out. Because yeah. then you got Furman and then Florida comes in with a huge game in front of 110,000. Uh, then you're looking at Missouri and South Carolina. That South Carolina game is on the road. Uh, and then um, – the uh, Crimson Tide comes to Rocky Top. So, and Tennessee too. When you look at kind of their cross division, they do have Bama like they do every year, but they also have Arkansas. And another interesting thing is the Georgia game for Tennessee, which is normally in October, that got moved till November, November fourteenth. So they're you know if they can beat Florida and knock the Gators off, you know maybe we're looking at the Vols and Bulldogs uh, in November playing for the SEC East. That would be interesting. Um, I think a lot of people are already putting Tennessee as the program that's that's had. I mean, basically, the focal point of the Eastern Division has been Tennessee and Florida are starting to get closer and closer to to what they used to be. Mm-hmm. Now, the proof will be in the pudding over time. You don't get to just have a couple of years in the case of Florida. Uh, a couple of months in the case of Tennessee of success. And all of a sudden you're back to Phil Fulmer or Steve Spurrier, urban Meyer, Tennessee and Florida. But all indications are those programs are in much better shape than what they were under their previous coaching staffs. You know, I I think so. I mean, I don't think, I mean, look, Tennessee probably had one of the most understated turnarounds in the country last year. Uh, after starting like they did and then winning six in a row, had a big win in the bowl game. They found a way. Uh, I think with Ur- with uh, Urban Meyer, with Dan Mullen at Florida, it's been a case of, and you and I have talked about this, the Gators haven't been overly impressive. Like, like they're not the Urban Meyer Gators or the Spurrier Gators that go up and down the field and no. you know put fifth, tang half a hundred on you and then laugh at you while everybody's locking arms and singing, we are the boys. They find a way to win. They find a way to win football games. Last year, so uh, two or three, four times I'd be watching them. They'd be in some trouble, you know, and then they pull it out. Kyle Trask, I think, is going to be a, a big, big important part of things this year. They have really fast players on offense, Mike, but they're going to be a little young. They lost some receivers. A uh, big, fast, athletic defense that'll be kind of what Todd, you know, you know Todd Grantham will be Todd Grantham. 
um, and we'll see what happens there. You know, Tennessee, I, I don't know that I would say that the Vols – I laid out a scenario where I think they can compete for the East or head into that Georgia game uh, with the East on the line. Do I think it's likely? No, I don't. I, I, I think that – and keep in mind, people out there understand this too. Yes, they are recruiting at a top three level right now in the country, but those players aren't going to be on campus uh, this year, this season. So they don't impact this season. Um, I do think they have enough on defense, enough on the offensive line, and enough experience now at quarterback, depending on who – I mean, no matter who it is, you know, to where they can, they can have another really good year. Uh, and then I think once this class gets there and then his other two classes start to mature, uh, I think you're really going to see Tennessee, you know, take a step up. That being said, I said that when Butch Jones was was there um, with the way he was recruiting, and we, we saw what happens. Keep in mind, too, um, Jim McElwain, the shark man, you know, uh, when he's at the university. A picture I can never remove out of my mind, and I wish I could. I need therapy just to get that picture permanently removed from my head. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we talk about <laughs> – yeah, that, I'm, I'll never forget it. You know, Florida under under Dan Mullen the first two years is 21-5 and five with two, uh, you know, major bowl appearances and victories. Keep in mind, under Jim McElwain, Gators were 19-8. and eight. And won the SEC East two years in a row. And then the third year, the bottom fell out, and that team was terrible. So, you know, third year, you lose some of the players the previous staff recruited. You know, sometimes your third year doesn't – it gets cattywampus. So, yeah. we will see. But I, I, I don't disagree with the consensus. Um, I do think those two programs are, are – if you had a, an arrow, you would point them on the way up. On the way up, and, and I think it's good for the SEC. I mean, we were talking about A&M. It'd be, it'd be good for the league as a whole if A&M can actually make it to the next level. Uh, LSU was not only a good story for all the obvious reasons, but it was somebody, quite frankly, other than Alabama. Um, it, we talk so much about the national landscape could use a, a little more variety in their diet. Well, the SEC could use a little more variety. In its diet. I mean, it, it has been the Alabama League, and then it was the Alabama and Georgia League, and now all of a sudden we're actually talking about other teams. Yeah. Not just for like, you know, hey, having a decent year, or, hey, they're, they could win, a, it could be a surprise team. We're actually talking about other teams that can compete for divisional and championship crowds. And that is uh, for, I mean, obviously. <laughs> If you're at the top, you don't want that. But for the rest, it's somewhat refreshing, and it makes for a more intriguing regular season coming up. Certainly. We are out of time. It was good to be back. Yes, sir. It was outstanding. And uh, hopefully we uh, – this is kind of the – we're on the we, – we've gotten off the bunny slope there for a while. We're down the intermediate, and we're going to do, <laughs> do the high one and slide right on into the season. Our our Our, our season chalet, Mike, will have a – have a nice glass of cocoa with some, you know, bourbon in it. Yes. <laughs> uh, when we get down to the bottom of the hill and uh, start the 2020 season. Might I recommend the Woodford Double Oak on the bourbon? Uh, just, just a thought. Uh, good enough. We'll be back in a week, and we'll actually get more into what we were just kind of discussing. Teams, conferences, games, players, all that good stuff that we know and love uh, and about – about time to start getting into as we get inch closer and closer to media days coming up virtually nonetheless, but coming up at a conference near you. That'll do it for us for JC Mike saying so long for now. Thanks for tuning us in. Once again, you have enjoyed the JC and Morgan podcast.